Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful in oil country and around the world. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Well, I was doing a little pretty good until the third period of that game. Mm-hmm. The Oilers, um, it was a close game from the start. They lost 3-2 in overtime to the Montreal Canadiens, if you haven't, don't yet know the score. Another loss to the Montreal Canadiens. A very disappointing loss because the Oilers gave away a 2-0 lead in the third period on some some weak defensive play, some defensive mistakes. But it wasn't like there wasn't weak defensive play throughout that game, and the Oilers were lucky not to be down early in the game. There's a series of strong saves by Mike Smith. And it was also a game, a frustrating game, Bruce, frustrating because I thought the referees were particularly atrocious this game, missing calls on the Oilers. And I know that's going to sound like a Homer fan complaining, but I am a Homer fan complaining. Anyway, the the slew foot on Dreisaitl, that was a dangerous play. He could have been concussed on it. You know, the, who was it? Uh, Deneau reaches around him and mm-hmm. gets, his, gets his skate under his leg, and it's a clear slew foot, and they don't call it. There was a hack. It was obvious holding. If it wasn't a, even, I thought, I didn't see the slew foot until I looked at it later, but it's obvious, like, Paul Yarby got, got called for holding for kind of tangling up with the guy, yeah. and Deneau reached right over Deneau, uh, Drysaddle's shoulder and, and wrenched him back and he stuck his leg out and he sent him flying onto the ice. Drysaddle's got the puck. There's no other players within like 300 feet on either side of these guys. And both referees are like, I didn't see nothing. I mean, come on. That's just blatant. Uh, there was another just trip on Drysaddle. Another trip on Drysaddle that went uncalled, mm-hmm. an obvious trip. There was a, a total hack on Yesipuliarvi by Edmondson right in front of the refs. It should have been a call. It was an obvious call. And then there was, you saw one. Shea, I, Shea Weber chopped down dry, uh, McDavid uh, when the Oilers already had a power play. And McDavid went around, I was trying to go around Weber, and Weber just chopped him in the ankles and sent McDavid flying. McDavid was yelling at the ref. Dreisaitl was looking at the <sighs> ref in disbelief. Louis was saying Dreisaitl doesn't often refund the refs, but he did after that one because it was just so. Anyway. Uh, homers be down. I mean, the, the power play did connect right after the trip that Weber tripped uh, McDavid. They scored anyway. On, they were still on the five on four. But it was uh, uh, officiating was poor. I think we we're, were very safe to say that. And I have a fair bit of video evidence to support these uh, these ones that we specifically been talking. And the Oilers got away with a couple too, although nothing near as blatant as those two. No, there was games against Montreal where the other team didn't get, where the Leafs didn't get penalties during the year. They didn't deserve any. This was just ridiculous, honestly. Just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. All right, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. What's your good thing? My good thing is the first Oilers goal scored with 20 seconds to play in the first period, a period that they had been very seriously outplayed for most of it. And this was uh, I'm going to I'm going to single out Jujar Kara for a tremendous play, tremendous sequence, where uh, Montreal was pressing deep in Edmonton territory, and and Kara came back and he intercepted a pass from Tyler Toffoli, uh, one of Montreal's most dangerous attackers, and uh, uh, 
got possession of the puck in his own face-off circle, and he just put his head down and he barreled up the ice with it, gained, uh, exited the zone, entered the Montreal zone, uh, went in against uh, uh, big Joel Edmondson, very, very good Montreal defenseman. And Edmondson stopped Kara briefly, but Kara first managed to chip the puck into the corner where his line mates could get to work on it. And they did, as Kara himself rolled off the check of Edmondson First of all, Alex Chase on won a battle in the corner, and Kara uh, uh, went back in, recovered the puck, took it around the net on his backhand, uh, 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 swung out in front and fired a cross-crease backhand pass right onto the tape of Devin Shore for the tap-in. And Shore's reaction to the goal tells you what a solo effort it was because, of course, he celebrated the goal, and then he looked around, oh, there you are, and he pointed right at Kara, and he said, Effen writes, great play, and uh, and he was. I, I didn't disagree with the word he said, <laughs> but uh, you like those ones where the where the goal scorer singles out the the you know the primary playmaker and 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 uh, points to them as having created the goal as happened in this case, and that was uh, just a good two hundred foot play by Kara, with uh, lots of physicality but also some skill. He, you know. He, he carried the puck most of those 200 feet, and then he made the killer pass. One of Jujar Kara's nicest, best plays since he's been in the NHL. Look, like a true power forward move, holding off, uh, you know, sh- protecting the puck, shielding the puck. Thanks, Joel Edmondson, top plus it, defender in the NHL. I just a, wasn't nobody. He is a he's a fierce, effective hockey player, Joel Edmondson. I wish he was an Oiler. Yeah, me too. And um, he Kara uh, held him off swooped around the net and, and set up shore. And it didn't look like it was a fluke setting up shore. It was just a really nice play. So good for Jujar. And he's, this is, cons- you know, he's consistently played well. Bruce, my good thing is Darnell Nurse. Um, I know that he was a culprit on the Montreal's second goal where he, he did make it, he made a turnover in his own zone. And some people might also blame him for the o- overtime goal, but Boy, Mike Smith probably should have had that overtime goal. It was an outside shot, um, and he just missed Great it. Great shot. Great shot. But uh, I don't blame they, Nurse for the overtime goal. I do. He was he was a culprit on that um, the Montreal second goal. Mm-hmm. But Bruce, he also uh, other than that, he kept a clean sheet. I mean, he was solid on defense. He was not part of the horror show in Edmonton's end, uh, which mainly happened when Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear were on the ice. He he and Tyson Berry was also played a smart, quiet game. Um, there was an all game. I was impressed with Nurse's very calm puck moving, puck handling. There was a sequence in the first period where he gets it under control and uh, wheeled around in his own zone to gain time and space. It was just a really nice play, which he's been doing this year for the first time all the time. He hit Yesapuliyarvi with a great stretch pass, which Puliyarvi sure, yeah. turned into a breakaway. And then there was his goal, which, you know, it's another, it's outside the home plate scoring area. So it's officially a grade B champ, but Darnell Nurse, Bruce, I'm starting to notice has scored a lot of goals from that spot. He has developed before our eyes, a howitzer. And when he gets that on net and he's getting it on net a little bit more often because he's a little bit smarter with the puck in the offensive zone. Than he used to be. He's figuring it out. He's moving in. He's he's picking his spots better, and he just pounded that in. 
and he made a good goalie look bad. And it's not the first time that he's done this this year. He's done it a number of times. So um, impressive from Darnell Nurse. I thought he had a good game. I would have given him an eight, but he did make that mistake. A pretty that was you know it was a turnover and and it did turn into the uh, tying goal against. But other than that, I, he was strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, other than that, it always reminds me of that old joke. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? Because <laughs> <laughs> it often occurs to a specifically tragic moment like the tying yeah. goal in this game. Or, it yeah. was that was yeah, fun. That, that, There's lots of turnovers in a game. Like it wasn't even like that egregious in a way. Like anyway. Wow. Sure went in the slot and into the net in a hurry. Uh, he, he did make, uh, and that was it was a um, out of character play where the in character play was the control play that you were talking about. And I particularly noticed that play that you talked about where he wheeled around. And he did kind of a double spinorama in his own left yeah. face off circle, and he he was under all kinds of pressure and and. Uh, Barry sort of got it to Nurse when they were both under pressure, and Nurse did one spin, and there was still a guy on him, and he did a second spin, and by the time he came out of that, Barry was open in front of the net, and Nurse just laid it over there just as calm as you like, and Barry walked it out, and the pressure was gone because of his skating ability and his ability to control the puck while he was doing it. Bruce, what is your bad thing? Oh, well, I'm going to say I have to single out um, the performance of, and this oh, the bad thing is always we're always critiquing that night's performance, not the player, not the person's overall game. But tonight's performance by Zach Cassian was not good enough. Uh, I thought he was uh, a passenger for about ninety percent of that game. Officially zero shot attempts, uh, two hits. And officially, when he was on the ice, the Oilers had one shot attempt to 12 by Montreal with zero shots on goal to seven because his line couldn't get going. And a big part of the reason his line couldn't get going was because Zach didn't get going. And there was a time uh, a time in the second period where there, there was this play where uh, – Caleb Jones made a terrific sort of recovery play to get the puck and and wheel it out of danger and get it over to Cassian uh, just inside the blue line. And Cassian just sort of passed it sideways and didn't even get it over the line and coughed it back up in Edmonton's zone. And Jones had to make a second good play in a row to clean up Cassian's mess. But just not sort of really sort of seeing his top end skating. We're not seeing... I said to my wife at one point that uh, Freddie Shiro would hate this version of uh, Zach Cassian because he's not taking the shortest route to the puck and he's not arriving in ill humor. So neither neither part of Fred Shiro's equation. Now, I'm not sure if Fred Shiro was his coach. I suspect he would be playing a little bit differently. But the fact is that that's the Cassian that the Oilers need. And where was he? I would sit him, Bruce. Based on that game, close enough. Like I gave him a three. I was going to give him a two, but you know, it was you know, two is atrocious. Maybe I maybe I should change that to a two. He was he was bad in that game. It was a very weak performance. Unfortunately, it does kind of typify his play since he signed his new contract. If we're completely honest, I think he's got a. What is he doing during it? I mean, did he make a hustle play all night long? Just even one? Did he make a a, a good play? He's not. It's yeah. really disappointing, Bruce. 
and yeah, well, it's getting two, two body checks and one of i remember one of them and it was just kind of a road hit on the guy in the corner that was you know nothing uh almost going through the motions now i can't remember specifically the other hit but, but i certainly know he didn't blow anybody up and i know he really didn't do anything particularly positive or indicated that he was particularly involved in the game just trying to play a control game i guess but one shot attempt four and 12 against is not a lot of control in my books it's funny, I'm listening, I'm listening to the Ken Dryden's audiobook of the game, which I read years ago. Such a mm -hmm. If you've not, not read or listened to the audiobook, it's such a treat for a hockey fan, even if you don't know the 70s era very well. But he, he, Dryden talked about like the players you could count on every night, Lafleur and Ganey on, that, on his great team that won four Stanley Cups in a row. But mm -hmm. he said there was these other players that are kind of up and down. Right. And, you know, he's shot and um, Mario Trombley and Robinson and players like that and and you, you didn't know what you're going to get each game from them here's the problem though bruce cassian has been that kind of player in the past kind of up and down and you don't know what kind of but every now and then you got this incredible player mm -hmm. uh who was fearsome and could make plays but we're starting to get a fairly consistent not very good zach cassian like a few up games would be a good idea at this point Okay. And we're not seeing them. Like, honestly, mm -hmm. I'd, the coach should send him a message. There's lots of other players to play. Too bad Dylan Holloway broke his finger. Uh, by the way, Brendan Gallagher broke his finger. Did he again? Yeah, he broke it. That's the report on Twitter right oh, now. Oh, so. man, third time. Yeah. So, Zach Cassian, we'll see what happens. Okay, uh, hmm. Bruce, my bad thing is, do you have something, one final thought on that? or No, carry okay. on. My bad thing is the pairing of Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear, mm -hmm. who, if there was a <laughs> five alarm chance around the Oilers net, you could just look up and you'd probably see Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones out there. They really struggled on defense. Ethan Bear struggled turning over the puck. And Jones, his game is just so erratic right now. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Um... So the, the first issue, Bruce, comes um, right early in the first period. And, and I don't know how this stays out of the net. Uh, we had, I had to watch it a number of times. But um, Bear allows the pass into the slot. Gaetan Haas gets beat in the slot uh, on the pass. He, he, he's covering his man, but he doesn't cover, cut off the pass. It goes over to, who took that shot? Lakenen, I think. Yeah. And um, somehow it stays out of the net. And I think Jones, who didn't stop Lakin from shooting, did stop the shot, or he and Smith together stopped the shot kind of miraculously. Then the puck, an even bigger miracle, it goes to Jesperi Kotkaniemi in the slot, and he absolutely misses the net, thankfully, the net. On, the, on the rebound. So that's the... F and it doesn't get much better from there. Like, it's, it's just an... Uh, you know, we, we next... Um, well, let's just go to the, there's a scramble play in the second, Bruce, where Jones puts it to, to Bear behind the net. And Bear, he tries to stop it with a skate. He does stop it with a skate. But in the pass back that he's going to make to Jones, he gets picked off and goes out front of the net. And then there's this mad scramble in front of the net where there's one grade A chance that Smith stops and a rebound. And then the puck's batting around, could have easily gone in. Finally, there's a chance at the side of the net um, that Jones stops. 
you go to the third period and um, there's the goal against, which was kind of typical of what happened out there. Um, Bear, uh, he allows the pass into the slot and Jones can't cover off um, jo- big Josh Anderson. He gets overpowered in the slot by Anderson. Anderson posed a particular problem for that for those two defensemen Perry, in this game. Perry and Anderson both did, and they both did on that goal. Perry overpowered yeah. Bear, and, and Anderson overpowered Jones pretty much as I saw it. But didn't they just have the puck like just before that, and they weren't able to clear it? But like I think they lost it along the boards, but I may have my yeah, well, sure, sequences confused. Sure. Shore was involved in it. He couldn't cut off the pass behind the net. There was a there was a bit of a turnover play on the on the boards and and um, the puck gets moved quickly from one side of the rink behind the net to the other. And Bear can't cut off the pass and Jones can't cut off the shot. It's, it's a it's a quick play, but it, that's how it is in the NHL. Then in the last minute of the third period, Anderson barrels down the wing, beats, blows by Bear, and gets a gets a heavy shot on net again. So it was just a uh, Ethan Bear has been playing better. This was mm-hmm. out of character for him. He had been keeping a clean sheet in a number of games up until this, but this was five major grade, five major mistakes on grade A chances against for Ethan Barron, one game, four for Caleb Jones. It was a very difficult and tough game for them to the, to the extent that I'm, sh- I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think we'll see, I think we'll see Logason for sure in the next game. Um, and we, who knows, we might even see Evan Bouchard. Although Bear has been playing very well, it's more of an anomaly for him, and I don't think he should come out of the lineup because of it. I mean, Tyson Berry didn't after his seven major mistake on grade A chance fiasco recently. So, but not a good game for either of them. No, not a good game for them as a pairing. And yeah. it might have uh, Dave Tippett rethinking how does he do that? Because on the one hand, he likes to give them the, the third pairing minutes. Uh, not that you know Montreal was winning the matchups using the last change to their advantage, or how you know, and they've got sort of three lines deep of uh, of uh, pretty good players, and they. Uh, uh, so even though Caleb Jones he played only 11 minutes and 46 seconds tonight, uh, similar to Saturday, like he had by far the fewest of the six, and Tippett and, and Playfair are trying to hide him as much as they can, but. Um, they, had, they were out there early in the third period for that really game-turning goal. From the Edmonton was on the back foot from there, and it just really taken the two-nothing lead late in the second. Eight, ten seconds left in the second. After twenty seconds left in the first, and they're up two-nothing. You think, oh, let's uh, let's just bring this one home. But nope, and that goal was a key part of it. And I mean, obviously there was other goals, and Smith made a. I mean, in the last minute, one minute to play. Uh, who was it? Um, Anderson. I Anderson went one, right yeah. through yeah. Ethan Bear. Like, yeah. And then Smith made that save. I mean, if that one goes in, then we're even unhappier campers right now than we are. And I'm not yeah, a very happy didn't. camper at this moment, I have to say. At least they got the loser <laughs> point. What do you make of Jones this year, Bruce? Well, tonight I, I saw a number of excellent plays. Like, I see the potential in the guy. He made, he made a few sort of real, real sort of... A plus or certainly plus plays, where he got the puck and he moved it and he, you know, he did something, um, uh, he did something positive with him. But you know, his decisions on pinching and stuff, like he, he's uh, his timing on pinches is not great, and 
he's um, he struggles in the in the heavy, you know, in the trenches, and I'm not sure what the answer is to that. And when you have uh, the number of smallish defensemen that the Oilers have, it's no wonder that in the last minute, sort of trying to sit on the two-two tie. Uh, Tippett had the same two defenders he'd have if he was sitting on a one-goal lead, namely Nurse and Larson, who are really the only two big defenders he's got. Logason's big, but yeah, he wasn't well, in that game. That wasn't, yeah, yeah in the right. lineup tonight. Yeah, which is why we see Logason, I think, so much, because I think he likes his size. Uh, and uh, But Logason was, was really struggling. Like all three of those Bakerfield, you know, we've, we've, we've praised them a lot, and we put a lot of faith in them and and uh we both think they're good all three of them are good players who can be you have high expectations david and, every, and yes. you know it's, they're not quite achieving them on a every night basis yet let's put it that way they're, they're in a tough tough run bear bear this was an anomaly for bear he'd been playing well but logason and jones have been really struggling on defense and um those struggles didn't end for caleb jones i keep hoping you know that there's going to be I feel like he needs a goal, maybe like something to lift his spirits and kind of change, bring his confidence level up. But on the other hand, they, most of his woes are coming at the defensive end. It's not the offensive stuff that's not there. He's he's making plays. It's just he's not he's not doing the old Chris Russell in his own zone, covering off that goalie very well. And uh, he's got a good example there. He should watch Russell play and and model his defensive game on that player. Russell had uh, th- three giveaways of his own tonight, so it wasn't exactly a show showcase effort on his part either. Yeah, and he allowed a slot shot. It wasn't it wasn't a great game from Russell. I thought I love Larson. I loved he, he not only gave that was it Deneau? He not only gave him a f- face wash, he gave him a hair wash and pretty much a full <laughs> body shower. He was so nasty to him on that after that whistle. I love Adam Larson this year, Bruce. He is um he's fantastic. I saw a Buffalo Sabres fan. I think his name is Jeffrey Aide, or mm-hmm. Aide, uh, joking that uh, he, uh, he'd love to see a Larson for Hall trade because that would work out for the Sabres. But uh, Larson has three goals and Hall has two. I was in that conversation. I made that point. I mean, the Oilers wouldn't believe. trade. Taylor Hall has one goal in 36 games. Yeah. The Oilers wouldn't trade. How is that even possible? They wouldn't trade Adam Larson for Taylor Hall, I don't believe. They need Adam Larson too bad at this point in time. That's right. Because, you know. Yeah. So that's right. Just the makeup of their team. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, your number. My number is zero. That's the grand total of goals scored by Connor McDavid, Leon Drysaddle, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins in five count of five games against Montreal Canadiens. Mm-hmm. Zero goals, four assists combined for those three. Stars, and I mean two obvious superstars, two leading scorers in the league with two points each in five games against Montreal. And surprise, surprise, the Oilers have seven goals combined in those five games. They're having trouble scoring on these guys. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I can't, I, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't lift their games tonight. I thought tonight would be a game Oilers would come out and really want to take it to Montreal. It was 2 nothing in the third period. Yeah, pound another one in. You know, but... Uh, I mean, McDavid, he played 28-38 tonight. Just a ridiculous amount for a forward. He had one shot in the game, one shot on net. And Nugent Hopkins, he played 24 minutes, four and a half of them on the power play, one second on the penalty kill. So it's not like he's playing defense all night. One shot, three that missed the net, one that hit the target. 
like he's got to work on the sights. Like he, he's missing good good looks. He's getting them, and then he misses the net. Yeah. And Drysaddle, you know, at least he had like three shots on net and uh, six shot attempts. I actually thought Drysaddle had a strong game, but uh, I wasn't too thrilled with the work of the uh, uh, 97, 93, 13, 9. Like they, they got sniffs here and there, but, they, you know, McDavid was on the ice for 20 minutes at uh, five on five, and the Oilers got outshot 11 to five. Five shots by the team. With uh, you know, and even strength in a period that the captain was on the ice, and it needs to be better. And I, I'm not sure what he needs to do to break through. But uh, I, tonight, I'll, I will say bad ice. I think that hampered a lot of players tonight. And the higher skilled the players is, the more of the bad ice is. You know, it's pretty hard to make a smooth pass when the puck is bouncing all damn night. But you know, he, somewhere in there, you got to make a play. And, yeah, I hear you. And, and so my bad thing, my, my number, excuse me, is three. Mm-hmm. So Nugent Hopkins has played now 384 even strength, five on five, excuse me, five on five minutes with Connor McDavid this year. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has scored three goals off uh, Connor McDavid feeds. Bruce, wow. You know, I, I made this point. This is like I'm going to broken record time, but seriously, there's no chemistry on that top line. And you just brought up the fact Nuge doesn't hit the net. Well, he's not a sniper. And and casting him as the sniper on that line is miscasting him. He is not a sniper. That's how he's set up. That's how he's configured. He What he is is a great give-and-go player who works really well with other great give-and-go players. That's why he worked so well with Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle for a time in Edmonton. Great give-and-go threesome in the offensive zone. Had it some success. Connor McDavid isn't a give-and-go player. He is a player who dominates the puck and who should dominate the puck. And you should pick line mates for him based on that. Guys who don't need the puck. Who Who is a one-time shooter? Find that player if you can. And if you can't, go out and get him. But it's not Nugent Hopkins. He's brilliant. He was brilliant last year with Drysettle and Yamamoto. I, I still cannot fathom why that line isn't together for a run of games. The second line had a strong game last game, Drysaddle's line with Cahoon and Yamamoto. They've now and then shown some chemistry. It hasn't been um, as strange a combination as the top line seems to be turning out to be. But I don't think Cahoon is really up to it in the end. He just had another quiet game. And I just think the coach at this point, it really does behoove him to experiment change things around. Why he hasn't tried Cahoon, for instance, with McDavid is baffling to me. Why he doesn't reunite the dynamite line is baffling to me. So I'm getting very frustrated. I have been frustrated all year. They've had success, so you only want to say so much. And and they've had success sometimes with McDavid and Drysaddle together, Yamamoto. I mean, if that works, that that's fine. But then where's your second line? So I don't know. I just think Tippett is, uh, and I hold him completely, completely responsible as the head coach he's got to if he's got to convince some players to go with different line mates then that's his job to do that and if that's part of the problem that's so-and-so wants to play with so-and-so but not, not the other guy well as the coach he's got to he's got to figure out how to sell these things and and uh, do what's best for the team because I don't think these particular two lines are best for the team yeah well 
three shots uh, or three goals in 384 minutes. Like that's over six hours of hockey. So that's somewhere a little bit below 0.5 goals per 60. And that's, you know, that's an expensive combination of hockey players. You know, they're paying that first line $20 million. They need production out of those guys. And uh, Nugent Hopkins is, um, uh, you know, three goals. And like, like you'd expect something over one goal per 60 minutes out of that combination. I, I think that's not unreasonable and, yeah. and maybe quite a bit more, but it's just not uh, not clicking for whatever reason. You might expect three goals in one game now and then. Where they're clicking, yeah. and those are the three goals where McDavid has set up Nugent Hopkins. Right. No, I understand. So, but, so it's not but, like Nugent may, might have scored a different one. But Bruce, they're only they're only they've only together in those 384 minutes, they're 19 goals for and 19 goals against. You know, that's they're just sawing it off. And these are their two best. Not, this is Connor 19, McDavid at even strength in the prime of his career. 19 periods, 19 for, 19 against. Find some line mates for him, and it ain't Nuge. Like it's just not working out. So figure it out. Like I'm getting, uh, I don't think it works, and I think the numbers back that up. There's other numbers that strongly suggest that the dynamite line is worth trying. You know, maybe they were on a big torrid hot streak last yeah, year. Of course they were. But make the, okay. Let's make the opposition stop them at least, so we so we know whether it was a mirage or the real deal. I'm yeah. I have a bet. It's a little bit of a real deal that like they're not like a seventy five percent goals for a percentage line like they were last year, but they might be sixty six percent. So, and that's what you need when you have an eight point five million dollar player and a six million dollar player together on the same line. So, um, get that on the same line and and. I think that they know that they need to find something because they can't have Drysaddle and McDavid together on the same line to win in the playoffs. So where's the experimentation? Where's Tyler Benson and where's Cooper Marodi getting a shot on one of the top lines? They just seem to be set with this idea that these are the top two lines. They have been since day one of the season and they are sticking to them. They're go- they, they keep going. They, they might, they just keep coming back to them, coming back to them. Well, don't, don't do it anymore. It doesn't work. Yeah, well, I mean, they maybe when they waived um, Joachim Nygaard the other day, they're making room for uh, a call-up of Tyler Benson. Or maybe they're waiting to see what happens at the deadline, and if nothing happens, then they call up Tyler Benson. But for now, they have a little bit of room on the roster, but you could make a case they need wingers. I mean, tonight's game, David, it started exactly like this. I never went back and watched it. I mean, it's a, but you... You've got this game on tape. Watch the first shift. The puck goes into Edmonton territory. It goes to Dominic Cahoon along the boards. He turns it over. Montreal tries to bring the puck into the middle of the ice. Leon Dreisaitl swoops in, steals the puck back for Edmonton, makes a good outlet pass to Kyle Yamamoto inside the Oilers' blue line. He turns it over. So we've had you know, one good play of by Dreisaitl, totally wiped out by two turnovers by his line mates, and the game isn't 30 seconds old. And I'm going, come on, guys, you got to support him a little better than that. Yeah, well, we hear from uh, Elliot Friedman and uh, Chris Stevenson on uh, their 31 Thoughts podcast that the Oilers aren't going to be making a big trade at the deadline. And, and when you think about it, when you look at when you think about it. draft picks, do the Oilers uh-huh. have draft picks to give away? No. Um, do they have cap space that they can use in a trade? No. So... 
when you think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that there there is much much Edmonton to, could do. They'd have to kind of jump through some hoops. But you know, they do have they do have a lot of young defensemen. They could move one of the young defensemen. They could make a choice, make a decision on him, uh, you know, and see if a team will bite for that. You know, there's that that might work because Bruce, I do think they're. Like I'd, I think maybe Benson or Marodi would be. It would be interesting to at least see them get a chance on one of those top lines, but I'm not sure that's the answer. And it might be trading for a player. And, and again, it doesn't have to be a superstar player. It just has to be a really smart player, like kind of like Alex Chason, but a little bit faster. And that's who you're looking for, and um, to fit on on that spot because you just need someone like that to fit to play with Connor McDavid. You know, the Oilers version of Chris Kunitz. Um, yeah, well, that's the player they need. That's the player they need. And just so he, well, how old was he when he went to Pittsburgh, Bruce? He wasn't he was, like in the prime of his career. Let oh, me just he, was, he was well along, but uh, the criminally underrated Chris Kunitz, who was, uh, uh, he, he, he took a lot of criticism, especially when he made Team Canada ahead of Taylor Hall at one time. But uh, Chris Kunitz, it didn't matter how sparkling his underlying numbers were. It was all because of Crosby. At least that was the narrative. Well, he's playing with Crosby. Of course, he's got good numbers. But he was such a, such a, I watched him pretty closely. He was <laughs> absolutely terrific support player. And, you know, and, and, and puck battles and, you know, he could score. He could, he could get involved in the offense. But he could, you know, mind the store at the back end. And that was a big part of it. What he did, and that's uh, I'm still not sure we've got that forward for uh, Connor McDavid. I don't think that we have. I like, I think actually, yes, Apuliarvi has a bit of chemistry with McDavid. Mm-hmm. I like that combination because uh, Puliarvi's good on the forecheck and he's fairly responsible defensively. Um, and and he's not really great himself carrying the puck right now. It's not like he needs the puck to to. To dominate. I think Kunitz was 28 or 29 when that trade was made, and he had a number of good seasons. What did he? Yeah, I just yeah. want to see. Pittsburgh acquires Chris Kunitz. Let's see what they gave up for him. Ryan Whitney, wasn't it? Ryan Whitney. Is that right? Maybe you're right. Yeah, was, he was a fifth overall draft choice. He went out there to uh, Anaheim, and then he came on to Edmonton. You're right, Ryan Whitney. So they gave up. Was it one for one? They gave up a top for NHL D man to get him. Yeah, and Chris Kunitz and prospect Eric Tengrady in exchange for Puck defense and Ryan Whitney. As I understand it, uh, Kunitz had. I think he was already locked up to a to a sort of club friendly deal. It was like three point five million or something, and he was very comfortably worth it. Anyway, Nuge with McDavid, seven points in 384 minutes. That's like just under 1.1 points per 60. 1.1. With Connor McDavid, right? I mean, it's not like... Does the uh, the line tool shows that? uh, Well, this is Nuge and Hopkins' teammates. Uh, Individual accounts playing with teammates. With McDavid, 384, seven points. With Pugliari, 328, six points. You know, and it's just not piling in the points with uh, with anybody at even strength. It's just gone cold and you stayed cold. 
So they've it's a it's you know Pittsburgh had to make a pretty big move there to get Kunitz. Oh yeah, they paid. It wasn't a wasn't a nothing move. They that was a serious serious trade, uh, giving up a very good player in Ryan Whitney. Um, so but maybe that's what it's going to take for the Oilers, and maybe this is the year they should do it. Doesn't sound like they are are going to do it, but maybe. I mean, Connor McDavid is what twenty four. He is. He's in the prime of his career. Yes. And um, they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Maybe they should. Maybe they should do something big. Anyway, I, I'm not sure they're there yet for the Stanley Cup, David. I mean, man, oh man! I mean, this is twice in ten days. You and I have been here bemoaning a blown two-goal lead on the road in Toronto and then Montreal. I mean, these are games that they, you know, you got to put them away. Um, there's flaws. There's still flaws on this team, and. They've been, There's not obvious they, answers to a couple of them. And. They've been lucky to get the points they've been getting in recent games. I, I think this is a really down time. In some ways, it's the worst period of play, I think, all year, including the first games of the year. Like, they're getting consistently, you know, they sawed off the chances tonight, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Not at even strength, though. And um, they, were, they were out-chanced, and out considerably at even strength. And, uh, you know, I... So it is a downtime, and you want to be careful not to make too much of that when things aren't going well. And maybe if they just reunite the dynamite line, they can reignite this team suddenly. Wouldn't uh, well, be that big of a shock, but we'll see. they don't seem to have any desire to do so. So we'll see what happens. Fifth game in a row, they got outshot, and uh, four of the five they've been outshot by significant margin. You know, like nine, nine or more shots tonight. It was thirty-two twenty-three. The Calgary game was close. And the four road games have all been fairly, you know, sort of 30 to 20 kind of thing, Toronto, the three in Toronto, and now this one. And they've been playing a lot of road games. In fact, <clears throat> the way the schedule is uh, is shaken down, uh, the Oilers could be playing one home game in a four-week span because, of course, they lost this game to Vancouver on Saturday. <sighs> They're probably going to lose the two home games against Vancouver next week. And we should mention to listeners... Uh, uh, that may not have heard this, that today there was a big change announced to the immediately upcoming schedule. Instead of playing this week, Wednesday and Friday in Ottawa and then coming home to a potential week off because of Vancouver, they're now playing Wednesday and Thursday in Ottawa. And then they're going on to play Calgary in Calgary on Saturday night. And what they've done there is they've moved forward the game from the last weekend of the season to April 10th. Uh, and the idea, obviously, is that I, one of Edmonton or Calgary will play an extra game against Vancouver in that last weekend of the season where Vancouver had a night off and it was Edmonton-Calgary on Friday and then Edmonton or Calgary-Vancouver, I think, on Saturday. So they moved that game, uh, they moved the uh, uh, May 7th game forward to this Saturday night, uh, April the 10th. And... Uh, Apparently, this was uh, Hockey Night in Canada clearing their throat because last Saturday when the vancouver Edmonton game got postponed, Hockey Night in Canada went dark. They didn't have a late game at all. And this week with uh, Vancouver at Calgary almost certainly postponed, they were looking at another dark date. And they said, hey, give us a game. So they moved Edmonton in. Exactly what the WHA did, you know, in the last couple of years, all, all of its history, really, but... Uh, the last couple of years that I was a season ticket holder, that I had the wad of tickets in advance, and they kept uh, uh, they kept um, 
changing of when the Indianapolis races, for instance, dropped out of the league. Well, all the Indianapolis tickets, instead of being no good, he's, the Oilers still played home games on almost all of those nights, but they played against a different team that was a sort of substitute road team, and that's exactly what they're doing here. They're borrowing secrets from the Rebel League. Well, this is a TV show, Bruce, that we're watching. It's oh, not, absolutely. There's no fans, so it, the TV show comes first. You got to have something on the mm-hmm. the prime time when people want to watch a game. And I have to say, I really missed it on the I weekend. Know. I really missed orders and uh, and uh, anyway, we're I, I've been a little bit down, negative tonight, and mm-hmm. um, I think I've been very pretty positive though, even in the first games of the year about this team. But I am. I'm not feeling it right now, and I don't. No, uh, I don't think they are either. Let's, and let's... I yeah. They got to make some changes, Bruce. They got to figure some stuff out, and it's not by going back to the same old, same old. So, I don't think that's going to work at this point. But they've had four be- games postponed in the last week. They've been running, running around from pillar to post. This was their third trip to Montreal in two weeks, the furthest uh, destination in the in the North Division. They played three three trips there. Spent basically a whole week there, and they played two games. They got to go back. Postpone. They still got to go back and play two more. And that that grind. And I'm with you that they're not feeling it, but I'm also fairly confident that they will again feel it someday. Like this isn't the true Edmonton Oilers. That the you know the truth lies somewhere in the middle from the one that's been riding high and the team that's uh, that's struggling to get by. That's right now. I think they'll snap out of this. At uh, at some point. All right, let's leave it there on that high note, Bruce. Well, yeah, one more note to, to uh, listeners. The Wednesday game against Ottawa starts at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Mountain Time. This is not a weekend afternoon. This is a Wednesday afternoon, 3 o'clock game, Edmonton at Ottawa. So be prepared. I guess they didn't want to put that one on TV. <laughs> they do. It's actually a double header, but both games are in the East. So the second game is Montreal and Toronto at 5.30. Oh, there you go. And the game East. is Edmonton and Ottawa at 3. They did the same thing when Cal- Calgary played an afternoon game at Ottawa here a couple of weeks ago, also on a Wednesday, which is Sportsnet's national day, and they like to have double headers as often as they can. And so that's how they do it when both games are in the East. They have one super early. All right. Well, I look forward to the game on Wednesday. Bruce, thanks for talking today. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.